What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the State of the Nova Nation presented by VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zhang. And Pat, this will be an interesting episode in a course of an interesting season. And I think you are on to me. I obviously missed last week's episode when Nova lost that heartbreaker to Marquette because I was sick. Coincidentally, I also missed the heartbreaking loss to DePaul because I had work. So I'm going to try and break that trend of my own and actually show up to some of these horrible solo episodes that you've had to to do, but you've also been killing them on your own. So uh, I, sorry I, I put you through that lately. I appreciate it. I think you will save everyone from just the vent sessions they hear me have <laughs> at the end of these games if we could do them uh, together again. So I am uh, I'm thrilled to have you back for what was another very painful loss uh, yeah. over the weekend. Luckily, we've had a few days to talk about it. I think that perspective has been good. But Pat and I were talking before we hit record. We're in a really good stretch, recording-wise at least, of doing a recap episode and then a preview episode Tuesday and Saturday or Wednesday or Saturday games for the rest of the conference schedule. So that works out really well with the timing of when our episodes drop. So we're excited for that. Hopefully Nova is able to rack up some wins so we can have positive episodes. Unfortunately, this probably won't be too positive of an episode after Villanova 66 to 61 loss to Creighton in Omaha on Saturday night. Loved the Saturday night primetime game. When was mm-hmm. the last time we had Gus Johnson on an over game? I thought that too on Saturday night. It was awesome. fun to have him back. Unfortunately, Jim Jackson seems to have tainted expectations for this Villanova team. Oh, but yeah, that was an interesting comment. <laughs> that was a definitely a narrative that it was tough to swallow, but we're going to go about things a little bit differently. If you listen to Pat's solo episode, on last Thursday, which you should, it's not like we're reinventing the wheel. It's not like we're reinventing the wheel anytime we come on here and talk about Villanova's losses because it's not like they're doing anything radically differently. So we don't have anything crazy unique to say. Instead, we're just going to kind of pose some takes that we've heard, some points that we have, talk some positive and negative, and just try and wrap our heads around what the season has looked like so far and what we can truly expect in the last stretch of Big East play. Oh, totally. I mean, if you listen to Thursday's episode back and, and played it here, uh, it would be deja vu yet again. Uh, because many That was a of... great title, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Because many of those issues uh, came back up here and reared their ugly head uh, in Omaha on Saturday night. And uh, we are going to do our best to not completely, you know, repeat what was said there. But of course, some themes just continue to need to be brought to light. Yeah, and we want to be honest with any with everybody listening because if you're on Twitter and you see the threads, you know that they've been painfully negative. And there have been some voices of reason, mostly A. Ray, Colin Gillespie has been vocal, Ochefu's been vocal, Jay Wright tweeted out yes. on Saturday night about these guys really having to grind and earn themselves to a win. Pat and I have struggled over the last few weeks trying to figure out how to paint these episodes because we want to be honest we want to be fair to the team, but we are also fans watching, screaming at the television because <laughs> we want Villanova to win. So we are doing the best we can to present all sides. This, especially for me at least personally, was probably the hardest so far because I was the most frustrated that I've been all season watching the Creighton game. I have since, like I mentioned, had a little bit of perspective and feel like I can talk about things in a little bit more of a positive way. Positive was the last feeling I was experiencing on Saturday night. So 
bottom line, we are just trying to to thread the needle here and, and strike a perfect balance if that's even possible. Exactly. It's I, uh, as we've mentioned multiple times throughout the year, uh, Villanova fans are uh, are feeling a lot of strong emotions for for this team and, and what we've all watched this year. And you know what? A, a lot of that is really valid. Some of it is is too far in the extreme, but much of it is valid. And we it is our goal just to do our best to uh, validate some of that. We'll also try and walk it back at least where we can or where we have a reason to believe we can walk it back. Yeah. Exactly. So with all that with all that being said, let's get into it. I wanted to start with one positive. I don't think it can be defined as the Eric Dixon game because Villanova came away with the loss. But we've been talking a lot this season about how Eric Dixon hasn't had the takeover game that we wanted him to have. The Yukon uh Adamas Nogo versus Dixon mm-hmm. dominance Center, last yeah. year. Exactly that we saw. This was the best Dixon has looked offensively. They fed him nearly every single possession he took over the game on offense it was really really nice to see both him step up and take over and also the team work their game plan around him because he really did have his way with Kalkbrenner and then when Kalkbrenner was dealing with foul issues with King Jr. inside for sure. The issue is that Kalkbrenner also had his way with Dixon. <laughs> if you flip it to the offensive side, but uh, for, for Dixon, at least offensively for Villanova, you know, he took seven more field goals than anyone else on, on Villanova's team with Justin Moore coming in with 11 and Dixon at 18. I think that's a good thing. And I think that's something that we have discussed multiple times throughout this season as something that we want him to see. He took six threes. I think that's too many threes for Eric Dixon. And we will talk about that final three i'm sure it won't take too long for for us to get to it but what that tells you then is that he went seven of 12 from two and that is a very very healthy uh ratio there and it's where he should be and so i think that's really positive what you saw from dixon offensively uh, again I, I really think he should be the focal point of this team i like him having the most field goal attempts on this team i i want them to continue to do that going forward and as you said, if we want to take a positive, I'm okay with saying that's a positive coming out of Saturday night. Yeah, especially when the majority of those shots, like you say, are around the rim. I would still like to see him not be as predictable to the left every single time because it makes it <laughs> once or a twice lot easier right. on the defender, yeah. right? So hopefully that is a trend in the right direction. I kind of like the idea as I was prepping for this episode to take take a take, if you get what I'm saying, from the chatter going around and something that we've certainly talked about a lot this season is how poor the defense has been, how poor the three point defense has been. Trey Alexander obviously torched Villanova. Just oh yes, another reason why Creighton is so good. They're ranked in the top 25 now this week. Finally. Um, if it's not Ryan Kalkbrenner, who certainly had his way, it's Ryan Nemhard, who was quiet on Saturday, but has hurt Villanova in the past. It's by Baylor Shireman who, Villanova was able to keep in check. That allowed Trey Alexander to absolutely go off. Five for nine, 27 points. He looked unbelievable. Kaluma has torched Villanova in the past. They are just one of the more balanced efforts in the country. And I, they looked that way at the beginning of the season, slumped, are starting to look that way again. But to Villanova's defensive credit, since Villanova, or since Justin Moore has come back, I should say, three losses. They haven't given up more than 73 points. And mm-hmm. those three teams have been Providence, Marquette, and Creighton, three of the top-tier offensive teams in the conference. So, again, it's not something you're writing home about. It's not something that you're thinking, oh, wow, Villanova's defense looks so good. 
but generally I think it's a positive trend. Are, are you there to even put the word positive to it yet, Pat? I, I, I oh, you hear me stumbling over it. Uh, sure. <laughs> well it, yeah, exactly. That's the cleanest thing I've said this year. Um, if we look at it in the defensively as a whole, you know, they held Creighton to 38% as a team and 29% from three. You told me that going into this game. I would have felt Villanova had a decent chance to win there. And I, I think that really underlines a lot of their offensive struggles right now. That's a solid job by the Cats to be able to hold Creighton to that sort of shooting output. You know, if we go further into it as well, over their last five games going into that game, I believe Creighton was averaging around 81, 82 points per game. Uh, Villanova has scored that twice this season. They hit 81 uh, against LaSalle, and then they had 80 against Xavier. That's it, and that's what Creighton was averaging uh, over the last couple games. So to to hold them into the mid-60s and keep them in a shooting performance like that, really solid. Uh, other positives defensively, you know, you mentioned Arthur Kaluma. Kaluma has the potential to to really hurt you with his versatility. I get major Jermaine Samuels vibes when I watch Kaluma just for the Swiss Army knife that he can be for them. So holding him to one of eight, I think is a nice feat. And then it, it doesn't get the credit that it should get because of how this game ended and with Villanova losing. But Baylor Shireman scoring five points. He had scored double-digit points in 19 out of his last 20 games going into this game against the Wildcats, and Nova holds him to five. That is a really big deal. The issue was that, as you mentioned, Trey Alexander completely torched them. And then finally, my favorite fun fact from this game, there were zero bench points scored between both teams. Either team. that's incredible by the way i mean creighton that is the knock against creighton is they have very little depth and greg mcdermott simply does not care he is going to set that starting five out there and that starting five is as good as any out in the country and there is no one to supplement it on the villanova side you know they they struggle to find any sort of impact from the bench here and what that did was lead to a goose egg from both teams off the bench which I mean, we're, I think we're all just looking for things to smile at at this point. Uh, I'll laugh at that. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was much more of a negative for Nova just because oh, it they is. rely on that depth. <laughs> Creighton, it reminds me of a certain team from last year that we spent some time talking about. They just don't care. McDermott doesn't care. He will play those five starters 34-plus minutes, which happens every single time. And their points about Shireman being limited and Ryan Nemhart being limited, he's a phenomenal player. We didn't yeah. see that because – uh, their point guard defense was really good on Villanova's defense. I feel that way about the Providence game. If Jared Bynum hadn't gone on that streak, Villanova's defense was okay. Same thing against Marquette. They limited Stevie Mitchell. Cam Jones was only average for him. It was Tyler Kolick who went off. There are just so many if, buts, maybes, if that had happened, that it's resulted in these three losses. But the the main takeaway is that the defense has been average in this stretch. It's really been the offense that has hurt them every single time, which uh, definitely feels like straying in, an, in another direction yeah. because the defense has been so poor for the majority of this season. Where do you want to start on, on the offensive side? Well, first off, average defense is a firm step up for, oh, yeah. for this team. Huge. And it, it's why Villanova actually over the last week has lost three games and has moved up in the Ken Palm rankings because defensively they've made some strides there. Just offensively uh, to Thursday's episode's uh, title, they are completely out of sync. Uh, and just to give you some numbers, and then I'll, I'll throw it to you for the offense as well, because you mentioned the three, and I think three is important to look at here. This is Villanova's third 
three-game losing streak of the season. We'll go back to last year. Remember, the sky was falling after they had one two-game losing streak to Baylor and Creighton. Their last three-game losing streak period was in 2020, which were losses to Creighton, Butler, and Seton Hall in February. The last time they had two three-game losing streaks in a season was 2013, and you can probably guess the last time they saw three three-game losing streaks in a season. That, of course, was the 2012 season where this team unfortunately keeps uh, drawing parallels with, which is not company that uh, I think any Villanovan is comfortable with. 2012 has turned into my least favorite number. I don't know. It's, if it's popping up way. way too much. It's <laughs> popping up way too much. And here Man. it is again. Yeah, those that's not a good track to be on for, uh, by any stretch of the term. So when we talk about the offense, something I, I don't think it, I actually think it would be remiss to start anywhere but the last possession of the game. And you can mm-hmm. even take Let's it back. It to the I, w- I would say the last two possessions really daniel's turnover yeah. exactly the last two possessions of the game it feels like this happened at wells fargo center when Moore had that throwaway when slater was all alone down by the basket that would have i believe put villanova within one if not tied it against I, providence I think you're correct yes marquette it feels like it came down to the final possession or two and same thing on saturday night against creighton so i think the the first thought you have here is that Neptune seems to have an inability to draw up a play to win a game. This is not the first time this season that the clock is winding down as Villanova has a chance to either tie or take the lead to win. And Dixon airballs a shot. It happened, I believe it was Iowa State in overtime. Does that make sense? Uh, Michigan State, I think, is the one you're thinking of. The the Dixon three-point, long three-pointer to try and win the game. I think actually the Iowa State one was that air ball that Slater happened to turn into an offensive rebound that forced it to overtime. I actually think that's the one I'm thinking about, Mm. which was technically an air ball, but he was able to play that off. But regardless, having your big man have to take that shot and then Daniels even having the ball when it was so obvious that feeding the ball to Dixon down low and letting him have his way against Kalkbrenner was working for literally 30 plus minutes of this game. It is the frustration that all of us feel that Neptune isn't going to what has worked at the end of the game. I tried to come up with a counterpoint here, and it's that he might not have the go-to guy to take or make that shot yet because Justin Moore clearly isn't at 100%. Mm -hmm. Caleb Daniels can't be relied upon to make that three every single time. Maybe there is enough time in certain circumstances to get Dixon down low Cam Whitmore we know can be a little bit of a wild card I guess my counterpoint to the counterpoint is that it doesn't seem like he's even putting them in the position to get lucky and make the shot yeah I would say I will certainly criticize for the those last two possessions there so Caleb Daniels of course has the turnover um, that was devastating for Villanova at the time because they were only down one and that ball ends up getting turned over with about 14 seconds left uh, in the game my criticism there is that the ball should not be in Caleb Daniels hands to initiate offense Justin Moore is back Justin Moore is the most trusted uh, ball handler and passer on this team that ball should be in Justin Moore's hand to make the final decision there to to try and make some sort of scoring play not Caleb Daniels trying to dribble between three guys and, and losing the ball 
And then on the final possession, you know, you're down three. I, I understand trying to, uh, you know, not playing for a two there because uh, obviously there wasn't any time left. Um, but w- when we look at, and Eric Dixon can be a, a, a decent three-point shooter. What Eric Dixon is not is a run-off-the-screen fadeaway three type shooter. That doesn't make sense to me. It, it, he is a catch-and-shoot shooter. He is wonderful as an option when uh, defenses collapse in the paint. He leaks out to the three-point line, is able to take an open three. He can hurt you from there. But in that situation for you know, taking time and, and score into effect, the play there should not be to run Eric Dixon in a fadeaway three that you you, you got to It's got to be better than that basically. And you know, the, the frustration from what we saw against Michigan state, because I, I think that's the clearest parallel uh, to this one. And some of the other struggles Villanova's had in close games, trying to get buckets when they need it. Um, that's why this one really hit home. So now I will most certainly criticize the the end of game kind of plays coming straight out of timeouts because those are direct reflections uh, of what's discussed in those timeouts. And I just I don't think that's been good enough. And it leads into the overall theme that this team has deeply struggled to execute down the stretch of games. And it's it's left them in a position where they're 10 and 13. Yeah, exactly. And they also lose so many close games that that record. Is it five and 11 now or they're losing in, in uh, single digit games? Something along those lines but two points that you said that i want to extrapolate on it is not that we don't want the ball in dixon's hands Mm -hmm. in the last possession of the game it is not even that we don't want dixon to shoot a three because he hit a huge three down the stretch he did in that creighton game it is just that the game plan is to set that screen for him to hit the three in motion it's i actually was stunned i was truly stunned into silence when I saw him I saw him put up that shot. And then going off of that, it's why I think Villanova fans are so triggered by the word close. Because <laughs> this team can't close out because it seems like they play themselves in a position throughout the game where they are right in it against these really good teams. And this is something I want to talk about more in a little bit. They hang around. They were hanging around at the beginning of the season. But it's this inability to close. It's an inability to get a basket when they need it. They do things so well until the final 10 minutes. It feels like final five minutes of the last few games. And they just seem to to lose the ability to make easy buckets and to go to what was right. It was, a, I believe, five or six. I don't have my phone in front of me. I'd written it down. But five or six minutes was the last field goal made in the Creighton game. It was even more than that in the Marquette game. Yes. That, to me, feels like even worse of a trend than the second-half points given up. Because if you're going that long scoreless on the offensive end to close out games, it doesn't matter how good your defense is if you just can't score. Yeah, especially when the defense is bad, which it has been for for many parts of this year. But no, you, you nailed a point that we had uh, discussed actually on the uh, pregame show for, for Nova Tip Time, which was a blast, by the way, to do on Saturday night with Chris, Chris and, and Tommy. And if it, it's a pregame show, but it's also a talk about Villanova. So if you haven't checked it out, you can you can find it kind of archived on on YouTube at Villanova Tip Time if you look through there. But for the the final stretch of games, what Villanova's done, and I don't think I don't think it's wrong to have this game plan is that the execution has been really poor is that they try and really suck the life out of the last five or six minutes uh, of these games that we know Villanova is very slow in terms of tempo, but towards the end of games, they are really 
really slow and they run that shot clock down and and that's understandable because we know there are some there are plenty of gaps with this team and they're trying to find ways to shorten the game and, and win on margins here because talent wise they just don't stack up as well the issue is that when you find yourself running down that shot clock and there's not a lot of ball movement and there's you know the the passing hasn't been great and, and there isn't a way to find that easy bucket there have been too many times where Villanova gets stuck around the three-point line or stuck in a bad position, and they end up turning that ball over or, or putting up a really bad shot. And what it does is it drains the clock down, it leads to a poor shot, and, and then you find these stretches where they don't score for three, four, five, six minutes down the stretch. And as we know, when you when those droughts happen, especially late and against some really talented teams in the Big East, it's very difficult to overcome that. It's a really, really interesting idea because you're right in that it's not a horrible idea. It's just the execution of it because in the same vein of Villanova trying to uh, suck the life out of it and not let teams take advantage, they're also playing against some really high-flying offenses. Mm -hmm. So I understand not wanting them to touch the ball, but they just don't have the type of clutch shooters who can find space or create space for themselves and get up a good shot when the clock when the shot clock is is fading. You're right. It is almost worse to see them dribble around the three point line for 22 seconds and then throw up a contested shot. You don't see them. <laughs> yeah. You don't see them trying to get to the free throw line. They're losing these games by four, five, six, seven points. They could make up those points at the free throw line. Go back to the Georgetown game when they had 31 free throw attempts. I'm just. If if I, if we can see it and we can see that that would be a solution, I think that's what's frustrating me that we're not mm-hmm. seeing it come into fruition in in game time. Yeah, and they to their credit for this game, they tried to get at the free throw line. They they took twenty attempts here, which is good. Where they really came up short, and I promise I will go fast here because I know it's broken record city for me. Um, but they shot twenty eight percent from three, you know, seven of twenty five. Uh, no one on the team made multiple threes on Saturday night, other than Justin Moore. They are now tied for the second worst three-point percentage since conference play started with Seton Hall. And we know that Seton Hall, as wonderful as they are defensively, um, no one will uh, miscategorize Seton Hall as playing offense like the 2018 Villanova Wildcats. So to be tied with them from three is not not great. And, And what I still really struggle with here is that they, if we look in the conference play, I just said where they are in, you know, three-point rankings. Let's look at the teams around them. So they're tied with Seton Hall. They've got St. John's as .01 ahead of them, and and they're ahead of Georgetown. Villanova averages 26 three-pointers a game. Those other three teams that are right around where Villanova is at the bottom average 18 three-pointers per game. What's the difference there? Villanova can't shoot them, but they still act like they can shoot them (laughs) because they shoot on average eight more threes than those teams a game. I don't get it, game plan wise. I do not understand it. I never will understand it, and I will pull myself off the stage now before I go any further. There, no, it's it. The numbers make it so stark, and that's what makes it so frustrating. Especially since Moore has come back, and I know that I said this. I also feel like a broken record, but you can see his impact. You can see him drive, and literally watch open Villanova players take the three and then make it because they are just not up to par with past. Villanova shooters so that offense just doesn't work they just have to find a way to adapt to the current 
personnel. And I was something I was curious about in the Creighton game specifically was Villanova's hesitancy to take mid-range jumpers because Creighton was definitely, I'll use the word hesitant again, to bring Calc Brenner up anywhere close to the three-point line. They wanted to keep him around the rim. Mm-hmm. That was really smart yeah, because exactly. he's a phenomenal rebounder and they didn't want Villanova's guards to exploit that mismatch. The few times that there was a mismatch, I didn't feel like Villanova exploited it. There was a specific Cam Whitmore instance where he easily could have taken Calc Brenner to the rim and he didn't. He decided to sh- to throw up a three instead. And it also felt like more Daniel Slater Whitmore had opportunities to stop and create a little bit of space in the mid-range game and they chose not to do that so it Mm -hmm. has instead become so stark either take the three or try and drive and get to the free throw line and I just wish there was more flexibility to try and create more baskets for themselves because I understand that you might want to go to the three at the end of the game. I understand why you might not want to go down low because you know that they'll be expecting that and you don't want to have to rely on the foul. So try and create more opportunities. And one of those opportunities is taking advantage of some of your strengths, which is that you do have some good mid-range shooters in more Whitmore and Daniels. And they don't seem to be making any sort of effort to implement that into the game plan. Yeah, you've you've led me into my last um, point that I really wanted to hit here for, you know, being able to create and uh, offense in certain ways. Villanova's really turned into a team that does not protect the basketball Uh, in conference play. They are turning the ball over 19 percent of the time. Um, What's a number without context? So to give you some of that there. They were 16% of the time they turned it over from a year ago. May not seem like a huge difference, but an additional 3% for a team that is nowhere near as talented on the offensive or defensive end is a really big deal when you are losing out on those possessions. We go back to 2021, they turned it over 14% of the time in conference play. And we go back to 2020, it was just 15% of the time. So you have over, you know, just from looking at the past couple of years, it is anywhere from a three to a 5% increase in turnovers. And when you add in all the additional places where this team has regressed, it is a massive, massive struggle for them when they are losing those possessions. And it's further than just losing possessions for them. We are at a point where Villanova has the least or fewest, excuse me, amount of assists per game in the conference. And they now only have six more assists than turnovers on the season. It is static and stagnant has kind of been a a really nice way to describe a lot of the offense that we've seen over the last six weeks. And I think those numbers in terms of turnovers and assists really start to tell that story of, yeah, something is, is very wrong with how this team is currently initiating offense. Yeah, the lack of assist drives me crazy. It feels like it's a five and out defense uh, offense. Just just the guys running along the perimeter trying to find space against defenses that know that that's what they're going to do. So something's got to give in that situation. And I don't think it's a coincidence that we haven't heard broadcasters ad nauseum talk about how good Villanova is at not making mistakes because, frankly, they have been making more mistakes than it feels like we've seen in years. And that's you know again when when nothing else is going right it feels like Villanova always had not turning the ball over and making free throws and feels like still make free throws those things are going down though which is which is never good so this brings me to my last question and we can talk a little bit about DePaul coming up on Wednesday night 
it's it's the question of where we sit right now. It's the question uh, that you've brought up of Villanova isn't in a need to win scenario because the chances for the tournament are nothing. Unless the, you ask Jim Jackson. The exactly the question <laughs> of Villanova has the chance to make a run in the tournament because that's their only chance, or the Big East tournament because that's their only chance to make it to the NCAA tournament. They have not shown that they have it in them to make that type of run. Mm-hmm. So my question is. How do we set our expectations in the future? Because I think Chris Nataro summed it up perfectly in that he told himself he wasn't going to get up for the Creighton game. He he told himself that this is just the norm. Villanova cannot execute down the stretch. They can't close. They hang around, but they're just not able to win. And it burned all of us again against Creighton. And I was included. I got my hopes up to the nth degree and I was brutally hurt at the end of that game. So where do we sit here? How can we go into the rest of the season both fair but critical and realistic about where this team stands? If you want to take it in a positive light, you say it's now or never what they're getting into with this three-game stretch all at home uh, against DePaul, Seton Hall, and Butler. If there is any opportunity to kickstart any sort of momentum – back-to-back-to-back home games against two out of three, you know, weaker teams in the conference, Uh, two teams that you lost to on the road and very well should not have lost to them uh, on the road. Now's the time for for them to start putting that together. I I still think it's really important for this Villanova team to get Jordan Longino back in in the not-too-distant future to allow them to to gel offensively. Setting expectations wise, I think it's difficult to expect this team to win because they really haven't thus far this season. I mean, we've talked about it. They've got four Big East wins. They come against Georgetown and St. John's and that's it. Um, So that they need to go out and try and prove that they can beat some of these other teams in in any way that they can. Um, But I, I think you can try and find some hope in that Justin Moore looked better again on Saturday night, continuing to get stronger there. Uh, you hope that they can continue to gel defensively. They've taken a couple steps forward. You know, maybe that gives you a reason to believe, here we go, here's a launching pad. Let's see what what can happen. I also think it's very rational to say this team continues to prove they cannot finish anything um, and has really struggled to, to find anything offensively. So uh, what do true expectations look like in the final month of the season? But I, I right. think those are the two ways you can look at it. No, that's extremely well said, and that's the dilemma of what we're talking about here. So I'll start with my negatives so that I can end on the positives. The negatives is that, unfortunately, we are rewriting the narrative of this season, and we're rewriting the narrative of when Villanova needs to make their move. Because I agree with the point that it's now or never because they're playing bad teams, but I also think when we went into the Providence-Marquette-Creighton streak, we also said that was now or never because they need quad one wins. So we can't <laughs> we can't really win either way. Now they What's should be beating up win? on the bad teams, but they also aren't going to move anywhere unless they show that they can beat a good team. So I beg a point. for a well, quad one win. Well taken. Exactly. <laughs> uh, the positive, you mentioned it about more. They're 0-3 in games with more back, but it has come down to the last few possessions in all three of those games. So it's the masochistic question of, do you want those games to happen like that? Do you want to ha- at least have the positivity that Villanova can hang? They just can't close. Or would you rather just be blown out by those three really good teams that are all ranked within the top 20? Villanova 
there's a there's a serious argument that Villanova is second. Uh, I'm sorry that the Big East Conference is second in the country behind the Big Twelve. So they're hanging around with these really good teams. They just can't close. They they cannot. Uh, on the flip side of quad one wins, I think uh, our Chris Lane had tweeted out that um, at one of these points, Villanova is going to give someone a quad four loss. Yeah. Um, which if uh, you don't laugh, you'll cry. Um, so <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so thank you for that, Chris. <laughs> All right. So that pretty much wraps up everything I wanted to say about Creighton. Are you good there? Yeah, I think so. I am looking forward to the DePaul game because of all of the off-court activities, which I will let you talk about in a second. Truly Mm -hmm. the only thing I have to say about DePaul since the last time Villanova played them and had that shocking loss on the road, that 10-point loss on the road, no less, is that DePaul is in a very bad stretch. They've lost five straight. Mm -hmm. And before their loss to Seton Hall, that made it five straight. It was a 69-64 loss. They were giving up just under 84 points per game over their four-game losing streak. So they have been in a defensive rut, to put it generously. I'm hoping Villanova's offense is able to make a move in this game. uh, Truly, it feels like now or never against this type of defense. I am very nervous to play Gibson. It was uh, Nelson on, on DePaul that really hurt Villanova last time it has been Gibson in the last five or six games for DePaul he's sixth in the conference in points per game he is a phenomenal three-point shooter so the onus is going to be on Villanova's three-point defense once again to try and limit him in some way so you're saying DePaul's a bad team that Villanova should never have lost to um yeah shocking <laughs> feels like no, we've heard that before no way never would have never would have thought that when that game happens uh but yes as you said DePaul nine and 15 three and ten uh in the conference there they have won one game since they beat Villanova which I think only pisses me off more um and I'm trying to not relive the show that uh that went live after <laughs> after the DePaul game uh but funniest part about that is that one win was against Xavier so take that as this conference all these it, teams just have the St. John's and UConn just the wildest wins it's that's why I love this conference oh, so yeah. much because it just makes no sense um but that's what makes it so fun um but yeah no you 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 nailed it for DePaul I you mentioned Nelson I am uh really scared of of Deshaun Nelson um I for what he did to Villanova the first time through and knowing that Eric Dixon um has struggled on the interior side of things uh, defensively. I don't really want to see what Deshaun Nelson has as an encore uh, ready here uh, for Villanova at the Finneran Pavilion. So I, I need to see a better defensive game um, from Dixon here because he cannot get walked all over um, by Nelson yet again. And I know I said Nelson for you. I meant Gibson uh, for for the guy that you mentioned. But that's my big fear is what what DePaul can do on the interior because they torched Nova there the first time. Yeah, no, it's a really good point. And if, if Dixon has taken a step forward offensively, I think you can probably say that he's taken a step backward defensively. Mm-hmm. I think that's a that fair point. Stretch. And if Nelson was a shocking performance the first time around, it, it's not going to be shocking this time around. That is going to be what De- DePaul tries to do. I think they're going to try and run Villanova a little bit, try and throw up those threes. And Gibson is is definitely at a hot stretch. The the small positive in DePaul's long stretch of negativity so far. Uh, the last thing I wanted to say just about Villanova's future too, a huge knock against Villanova this year is that they can't win on the road. It's true. 
the the one silver lining is that no team in the Big East can win on the road. That is why it is so so crucial for Villanova to win at least two of these three games. Seton Hall, maybe you excuse that because Seton, Seton Hall's Hall a tough game. Is Shaheen's a good doing team. a nice job. But Villanova has to win that game at home. They have to win these games on home at home before they finish three of five on the road against Providence Savior and Seton Hall. So I, I'm going to go with you, Pat. Now or never, you got to win on the at home because it is impossible to win on the road this year in the Big East. I I beg them to not get swept by DePaul in a in a that season would, series. That would hurt a little bit. We would yeah. uh, you would actually be solo on that episode. I'm going to say it now. You would be solo on that episode if Villanova loses to DePaul on Wednesday night. No, I think you will be solo on that episode because yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm coming I, back I from are... the Pavilion. Yeah. <laughs> but talk about the talk about the good things that are happening at the Pavilion on Wednesday night for people. Yes. Who... So while uh, of course we're in the middle of what has been a very difficult season for Villanova, I think Wednesday night is actually one of the more exciting nights for Villanova this season uh, and and one that I am very very pumped um, to be at with my dad uh, is that they are honoring two Villanova legends one before the game and one during halftime Uh, we'll start with before the game Uh, they are honoring someone you may have heard of named Jay Wright Um, before the game I I mean I, I don't we I know we just did this. It feels like not that long ago talking about Wright's impact, but 520 wins in 21 years at Villanova. Obvious four Final Fours, two national championships, six-time Big East Coach of the Year, Hall of Famer, gold medalists, uh, eight Big East regular season titles, five Big East tournament champions, uh, Coach of the Decade. Uh, how much more? You know, es- established the very fiber of what made Villanova a blue blood uh, and the infrastructure that is going to be there to try and help propel Villanova forward here. I- I'm excited for the Jay Wright portion of it. I'm very interested to see, um, you know, with, with him coming back and-, and how this season has been a struggle, how, how things are there. Um, but it- it's cool to uh, to be able to honor him b- before a game like this totally agree and i love the words you use like fiber and infrastructure it's perfect. I'm, I'm trying i'm trying yeah there's no bigger compliment that kyle neptune is using the same game plan that jay wright implemented because it worked for so long and it made villanova a blue blood and i think that is why people like jim jackson still have such high expectations for villanova because it's villanova and that is because of jay wright oh yes it is uh and then secondarily other person which feels so weird to say other i i still think it's i do find it a little weird not gonna lie that both these guys are being honored at the same game yeah it is kind of funky you would think that they would just do another home game for yeah it had to be something scheduling wise um for for why it it is this way but um jalen brunson is getting his jersey retired at halftime jalen brunson is my all-time favorite villanova basketball player uh he is the epitome of a champion uh, two-time national champion, two-time Big East tournament champion, two-time Big East regular season tournament cha- or regular season champion, uh, NCAA All-Tourney, Naismith Award, two-time All-Big East, Big East All-Freshman Team, uh, 2017 AP Player of the Year, Wooden Award winner, uh, two- 2017-18 Big East Player of the Year, and a two-time All-Big East tournament player. The accolades are almost, it makes me laugh as I read through them because there are so many. Um, really, the... Uh, personification of smoothness, uh, the true Villanova guard with, with his intelligence, his strength, uh, his grace. I thoroughly enjoyed every second of Jalen Brunson's career at Villanova. He 
is being immortalized here. He should be immortalized further um, as, as the university, you know, continues to put more time uh, between when he was walking through campus. And uh, I, I'm so excited for his Jersey to be retired and join all the Villanova legends um, that have already been honored. And somebody make sure to check on Pat when he's there. All right. Because he's going to be pretty busy fanboying. I, I, no, yeah. No. If you couldn't tell from that yeah. Brunson Just is sure. absolute idol. Um, so keep the blood pressure low, keep the heart rate low, Pat. I'll try. I will try. No, it's awesome. It's and to see him have this much success in the NBA now on the Knicks of all teams. It's, Should, it's be cool. Should be an all star. Should be an all star. They're one of the biggest snubs. Uh, absolutely. I mean, snubs. he he beat the Sixers on uh, yeah. on Sunday night at the Garden, which I definitely enjoyed watching. Um, so yeah, the, this is going to be really cool, especially for a game that, in all honesty, can lack juice. You know, yeah. DePaul on an 8.30 in the middle of a season when Villanova and DePaul are both under 500 right now. You know, I, I wouldn't blame you if you said you're not really getting up and waking up on Wednesday morning and feeling like you got a new lease on life for this game. But with Jay Wright and Jalen Brunson uh, being honored, I expect it to be a pretty good crowd and a pretty energized crowd for it. And in all honesty, that's exactly what Villanova needs right now. You're so right. You are so right. It's It's not going to feel the same way that the Creighton game felt like on Wednesday morning. Yeah, I, I like the way you put that, but it is absolutely something to look forward to. I think at the perfect time when Villanova needs, Villanova fan base, I should say, needs definitely a little burst of life here. Need and this boost. is the perfect way to, Brunson and Wright feel like the two perfect people for that job. Yeah, just trot them out. It'll make everyone yeah. smile. And that's what we need right now. Exactly. So let's do it. I'm I'm pumped. I'm really excited you're going to be there. I can't wait to hear about it. And I'm hoping they do some sort of a live streaming or access or something like that, because just they're so they're both so high profile that I feel like they have to I got to hope they do. Uh, and yeah. I got to think they will, because this is these are two. It's Jay Wright and Jalen Brunson, right. two, two cornerstones of the program this millennium. So I, I've got to imagine that this should uh, we'll get the the full coverage and full fanfare that it deserves. Yep, and Villanova women's basketball. I hope you bought your stock already. Oh yeah. AP poll this week, fifteenth in the country. Let's go. I uh, I they had another huge win over the weekend, and I say huge meaning just large uh, margin of victory because the the women are rolling right now, uh, and I am very excited for a the game that is upcoming. UConn at the Finneran Pavilion. I believe it's two weeks away. Um, yeah, and I it. I most certainly have my eyes on, on being able to go to that one. And uh, I hope that everyone else in Nova Nation that's around can can go to that too, because these ladies de- deserve our support. They are so talented and so yeah. much fun to watch. So cool. And you truly, you should see Maddie Segrist in person. You really you have to. No, if yeah. you haven't done it yet, do it. I, I've been lucky enough to see her her early years while we yeah. were at school. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen her since we graduated. So that's part of the appeal to get back and see her now as a, a more polished product than she already was, which was you know, already a, a phenomenal player when we did see her. Speaking of Maddie Segrist as well, if you're looking for more content on her, our guy Tommy Godin put out a great article on VU Hoops last week uh, with a sit down with her, giving all sorts of insights on, um, you know, on her her basketball life growing up and, and philosophy and stuff like that. It's a really fun article to read and most certainly check it out if you want to learn oh, yeah. more about her. Love that plug. It's really, really good. Yeah. Oh, Tommy's our guy. Got to support him. Yeah, so like we said, we're, we're excited about this stretch because of the recaps and previews that we're going to be doing. We're going to be back on Wednesday night. I was joking before. Both of us will be there on Wednesday night, hopefully recapping a positive Villanova game with a bunch of really fun off-the-court activities as well. 
let's smile on Wednesday night. Let's Wouldn't do that it. be nice? Let's like, do let's, it. Yeah, let's have a really happy Thursday. It's oh, uh, I would love that. Yeah, it's going into Wells Fargo weekend, Super Bowl weekend. Like, no, nah, let's try and spread some cheer on Thursday. So, all right, boys, let's get a win on uh, on Wednesday all night, please. For that. <laughs> let's do it. But all right, that'll do it for us here on the State of the Nova Nation podcast presented by VU Hoops. Be sure to check out VUHoops.com for all your Villanova content all season long. Follow us on Spotify, subscribe to the show on iTunes, and follow us on Twitter at SONNPod. As Emma said, we will be back at it on Thursday morning recapping the DePaul game. I hope everyone enjoys that game on Wednesday night. If you get out there to support Jalen and Jay, most certainly do. We will talk to you Thursday morning. And Nova Nation, that's a wrap.